Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Fanboy Comics Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Clay, and if my voice sounds a little weird, I just woke up. How are you guys doing today? That is a rhetorical question because we have a lot to talk about. I know that these usually drop on Saturdays to be the Shonen Jump Saturday show, but I had a pretty busy weekend. Of course, that was during Halloween now, I do have to ask you guys, uh, this question is not rhetorical. Please respond, because I want to know, what did you do for Halloween? You know, with with a crazy situation as COVID has pretty much messed with our lives, did you do a Zoom party? Did you, you know, still go trick-or-treating? Did you social distance? Did you see any interesting social distancing candy, you know, giving out candy experiments? I saw one on TikTok where they created this giant snakehead that went from a window all the way down to their garage, and it would, like, vomit candy like a giant monster. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Did you see anything of the sort? Uh, so let me know. I think that would be pretty fun. And also... Because, of course, this is Shonen Jump, did any of you dress up as your favorite Shonen characters? Please let me know. Um, I think that would be really fun. Or if you saw anybody while you were social distancing while doing trick-or-treating, if you saw anybody as your favorite Shonen character. Now, let's go ahead and talk about this really, really quickly. I have a ton of shows today, a ton of shows that I am featured in. I am in Star Wars Alliance. I am in uh, World's Finest True Believers. I am in the comic book rundown. Of course, you have this show, Fanboy Comics Podcast, and I am also on my debut episode of the Ranger Alliance from the Geekverse Podcast Network. So please go check those out. Uh, you would be forever in my favor, uh, and I love you all. So, with that, we have one, two, three, four, five, six books to be talking about, and a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different chapters to talk about. As a lot to go on, but I think we can do it in a timely manner. I really do want to see if I can do this you know, within a certain amount of time, because I have laundry to do, as well as, of course, just getting ready for the day. Like I said, I just woke up. Hopefully, I can uh, do this in a timely manner. 
But with that, let's go ahead and jump into the first book. Of course, this was one of the newer books that we added into the lineup. It's Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin. This is one that I've had a lot of fun with, but let's go ahead and jump into chapter 16. Okay, so Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin, chapter 16. Now, I do have, like I said, a lot of fun with this book. It is out there. It is weird. It is hilarious. But we last left off with a couple characters having an incident at their training facility for dolphins. And now we open up with one of those characters unconscious on the beach. And that weird, perverted uh, lifeguard has found her Um and his, I guess, other lifeguard that is on duty uh, is there with him. Uh, they talk about how, uh, basically, I, uh, I'm not going to go page by page with this, uh, just because, like I said, we have a lot to talk about today. But uh, the person that is unconscious is uh, Okina, Okina Yakari. Uh, she is the light-haired one compared to, uh, what is her name? What is her name? Uh, uh, I, Hamura. Hamura was her partner. Uh, and they talk a little about that, I believe, in Chapter 17. But we'll get there. Uh, but Okina uh, has lost her memory. And Hamura blames the police officers for putting some crazy thoughts in her head more so more so Orphe uh, uh lieutenant Orphe Orphis uh the dolphin and uh uh Kamura I know Hamura Kamura Kamura is the lifeguard he uh, basically says that uh Okina has lost her memory due to the stress of the incident uh, so, of course, just like good police officers, uh, I can't remember the female officer's name, but uh, her and uh, Sabajima go back to the facility and talk to the uh, lifeguard, or not the lifeguard, but the diving coach, the dolphin trainer coach, and he is like, well, I'm upset about this too, guys. Like, like it, it pretty much shows that Okina is not suit to be a... Uh, dolphin handler basically and so it's like okay well, that's a little offhanded that that's kind of weird but uh Kamuro asks for a ride f uh, from Samajima and the other officer and he's a little like he's very enthusiastic he's very loud uh and he says this offhanded comment about like uh everybody is telling stories of how you fired your gun at civilians and rescued a turtle and drove your police car off the cliff and rescued some cats. And he says, I totally feel you on this, sir. No one life is worth more or less than the other. And Samajima and the female officer, they like have like this like stone face because it's like, well, if you put it that way, we're pretty horrible cops. And uh, Kamuro actually says, you know, See you later. I hope you start rescuing people someday. <laughs> but uh, they go on to this bar. Uh, they go to this bar and they talk to Mari. And she is uh, she ends up telling them the story about Okina and the uh, coach, uh, Mr. Wat uh, Watasaki. They were engaged. And that was like, 
when I read that, I was like, what, 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 like for real? Like why, why it's so weird. Now I understand like after some thought, okay. He's like, okay, he is, he, he's not over her. That's why he's kind of like mean and blah, blah, blah. But we, the very next page, we see him ask Okina, like, is it true? Can you not remember anything? And she says, uh, well, she nods her head and he pushes her off a balcony. She falls like it looks like two to three stories down into a pool full of dolphins. They get agitated and they pull her into the ocean. Hamura sees this. Uh, she is wanting to go diving into the ocean to save Okina. And it's really cool how they put this in uh in sync with the panels you see the shirt and glove of lieutenant orphy and then you see of course samajima behind uh mr watasaki and they both say want a ride because it's two different uh of course uh lieutenant orphy is going to be helping Hamura while samajima is arresting watasaki so it's really cool. They share the same uh, uh, voice bubble, and it's it's just really cool. It's just really really cool. Uh, uh, Samajimi puts Watasaki in like some sort of uh, handlebar uh, lock, and he's like, "I caught you red-headed. Like I saw you push her." And Hamura is now because uh, because the uh, the man that pushed her, Mister Watasaki, says, "Haha, you're too late, cop." The dumb woman didn't accept my proposal. This time she's going to be floating for sure. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I can't swim. And the guy's like, what? He's like, yeah, uh, diving it up only makes sense. Uh, let the human cop or. I don't know why it said diving instead of dividing. Uh, but it says, let the human cop deal with the human problem while the dolphin cop, my partner, deals with the dolphin problem. And you see this really cool panel of Hamora on the back of Lieutenant Orphe while they are swimming into the ocean. Now, in Chapter 17, this is where it got really, really weird. Uh, we find out, uh, it goes a little bit on a flashback. It goes to a flashback where Dolphin... And uh, Samajima are talking. And this is basically in between uh, chapters uh, 15 and, excuse me, 16. This small little part. And Lieutenant Orphe has basically found out that the cult of the sea is involved in this situation. He doesn't know entirely how, but they are. And... So, uh, Homura and, uh, Orphis are diving into the ocean. He notices that these dolphin are acting very, very strangely. Their eyes are colored differently. They're acting more like sharks, uh, ready to like feed off or, or kill off an enemy. And, uh, we do get a little bit of a flashback from when Okina was like first joining uh, the the dolphin team and it pretty much showed the whole thing about how Hamura and Okina like first came to like trust each other or talk about trust uh, 
And so we also see uh, Samajimi talk to Mr. Watasaki. And in a huge turn of events, we see that Watasaki was not the one that was involved in the cult of the sea, uh, which you would assume because he's trying to kill somebody. No, it was actually Okina. Okina apparently is uh, like super high up in the cult of the sea. And she was meant to uh, get Watasaki into the cult. And apparently the way it's worded, it sounded like she had his parents killed. And so he was wanting to propose to her and say, hey, let's get married, get out of the cult of the sea and just leave. Like we don't have to live this life anymore. And so very odd for him to want to try to kill her after that, but is understandable. If it's if I read that correctly and how he she had his parents killed, it's also understandable why he would want to kill them. Uh will kill her. And so Hamura is you know, the, the dolphins do attack a uh, Lieutenant Orphe, but Hamura is able to get away and go after Okina. She has pretty basically synced uh, pretty far down. And the really cool thing here is that they have a, a decompression uh, little lesson here. And it says here, uh, when making a deeper dive, water pressure will cause a diver's body to absorb excess inert gases. During their ascent, they have to pause below the water surface for for a time to allow the gas to escape. Failing to do this, I don't know why I'm talking like a robot, failing to do this properly can lead to decompression sickness, which can be fatal. The deeper down a dive goes, the longer it takes to decompress fully. Uh, it sounds like Homura uh, notices that they are about 90 feet and they find this like stone or like rock and it looks almost man-made. She's like, oh, if we get on the top of that, then we'll be at least 50 or 30 feet higher. So we'll have to stay down here less. So uh, like, I guess a doorway opens up in this little human-made or man-made uh, structure under the sea. And like the the water pressure or air or whatever just starts sucking them in. It's like a vacuum. And Okina gets stuck, and, you know, Homura is freaking out. She doesn't know what's going on. And Okina seems to be completely calm at this point. And she's also talking underwater, which is very odd. Uh, but she says, uh, I've reached the designation, uh, or the designated place for the ritual. Uh, the guru is here to receive me. Uh, I'm sorry. Jura, that's how that's who she called Hamura. She called her Jura. Uh, it's time for me to go. And the person, we don't entirely see them. And just by like, by the time you see like the chest area and the mouth, I immediately who knew who it was. Uh, but he says, uh, humans grew legs in order to leave the seas and walk on land. So then, if you're returning to the waters. Once you came, you don't need them, don't you agree? And it's freaking y Yukari, the lifeguard from, of course, 
the last few chapters. And I was like, what? What in the world is going on? Like, I feel like I should have expected something like this because of how weird the uh, cult of the sea is so connected to the island that they're at. But basically, Okina stands up with her legs still stuck in this freaking, like, floor. And her leg, like, she she basically just pops off her leg. It It pops off. And, like, well, it, it pops from, like, right below the the knee. Like, it, it almost like a severe cut. And she just walks it off. Hamura is freaking out. And that's the end. Like, that, that's just the end. And, uh, brain melts, explode. I, d- I don't know how to explain it, guys. Like, how do you, how does this just happen, you know? Um... So I'm very interested. Uh, it feels like I think this is the longest arc, and because this is like I I would say this is part three. Well, no, I feel like this might be the longest arc because reading everything else, I think the longest arc has been maybe three or four. So if we're like really getting into story here, I think that would be really different for this book. Uh, I, I, you know, the one constant throughout this has been the cult of the sea, but we haven't really seen much of it. We saw something that might have been like some sort of assassin really early on. Uh, we've seen uh, some people who were thought to be bad, but in reality, you know, they're looking out for their families and things like that. Uh, so this is completely different and I really, really enjoyed it. But let's go ahead and jump on to a new book as well. Uh, Ayakashi Triangle. This one was really fun. Um, I've been liking this title, but I do have some gripes about it. Uh, and we'll talk about that right now. All right, guys. So Ayakashi Triangle, chapter 18 and 19. Like I said, I've have I've been having fun with this book also, and that's why I wanted to add it to the lineup of stuff that we talk about. Now we start here with a really cool flashback with the Ayakashi King pretty much encountering Gino for the very first time we learned that Gino is a uh, basically an evolved icon uh, and a pretty much a humanoid icon and we learned that from the last chapter as well uh, where uh, what is his name he uh, Sasuke Hinojiku or Hinojiki uh, which is really funny because Hinojiki is only like three different letters of my last name. Uh, the three last letters in Hinojiki, you can just like change with three different letters and it's my last name. But, uh, but you know, he is the genio who basically wanted to be a little bit more humanoid to hide and be devious and things like that. Uh, but we learn in this flashback that the Hakashi King actually has a lot of respect for Ayakashi. Of course, he is the king, so he you would think that he would need, you know, to respect them to be the ruler of them. And so, you know, we have the Ayakashi King, Matsuri, and also, uh, what is his name? I have it written down here somewhere. Um, uh, Ninokuru. I believe that his name, that's his name, uh, is uh, is also going to be helping out Matsuri as well. 
Uh, he's the other, of course, exorcist. Uh, but we also get uh, a little bit more information from Jinyo. You know, he says, you can call me Sasuke Hinojiki. Quite a, hu- uh, quite a human-like name, isn't it? I identified with it when I became complete in this form. And he talks about how uh, and why he wants to eat Ayakashi. He loves the fear that it gives off to other Ayakashi. And he wants uh, Suzu to have like this look in her eyes when he finally gets to devour her. And uh, he has the control of all of these different icons uh, who are surrounding this building that he has Suzu in. And so that is when uh, Ninokuru is like, hey, I'll stand back. I'll fight these icon. You go help Suzu uh, as much as you can. And so uh, Matsuri does this really cool freaking uh, winjutsu, uses her scarf as some sort of like balloon slash parachute thing. And it like the wind just grabs onto it and he flies into the building and uh, she punches him, uh, Jinyo, really, really hard in the face, uh, kind of in like this like epic little entrance and uh he said, or she says, uh, having the fun at the expense of others, you devoured the Ayakashi Suzu's, Suzu saved right in front of her. Uh, that alone is inexcusable. I'll open up a wind hole in your stomach. And he says, haha, the special seasoning I need has finally arrived. And here in chapter 19, it's very odd. Um, I don't think I like this chapter as much as I really wanted to, uh, we see that like spiritually his, uh, Haku, which is the life force of people of everything, the life energy. Um, he notices that his arm is missing. It's not really missing, but like with his Haku, it makes it look like it's missing to him, uh, for a split second. And, uh, so, so, uh, Hinojiki basically says, uh, I took the Haku, your vitality, from your right arm. You see, I can devour the Haku of those I touch. You let your anger take over and rush forward. You're no different from a beast. A human like you should use your head. And, like, we see that uh, the Ayakashi King is out helping uh, Ninokuru as uh, well out in front of this building. Uh, with all these icon and he's questioning whether he should still align himself with the humans with uh, the a Jinyu uh, involved so you know Matsuri she is noticing okay it well if he can do that to my life force without touching me I can't let him touch me and so it gets a little bit more complicated uh, he can't get his wind uh, Jutsu's to be working correctly because he thinks that his uh, spirit, his spiritual power is agitated with his Haku taken. And so it gets pretty intense. Uh, we see his, like one or two panels of Ninokuru uh, fighting the icons. And then we see uh, freaking Matsuri uh, get a little bit more interesting with, you know, the items that he got from their friend like two or three chapters ago. Um, and so, uh, right here, this is where I'm just like, eh, it's not, I understand, uh, why, like, 
visually why uh for multiple reasons but i just didn't like it uh we see that uh the haku version of matsuri uh from the backside she's completely naked and this is showing her spiritual self so it's not going to show her clothes you know it's just it it's something that has been represented in other uh freaking manga or anime or whatever but you see a huge chunk basically taken right from under uh her right thigh like or right at her right thigh right behind it uh so you get like one huge ass shot basically and uh Matsuri is very confused he didn't touch me what's going on and he says uh, you're too gullible for your own good I lied about being able to devour those that I touch. It's done in a different way entirely. And then you see her again uh, naked from the front side. And it looks like bites are getting taken out from her face, her shoulders, her arms, her stomach, her privates, and her legs. And... I don't know, this one just felt a little bit more tasteless as far as the panels go. Uh, I'm still enjoying the story. So it, it was just one thing that was just like, ah, that, that kind of bothered me. But Suzu then like notices this and she like freaks out because Matsuri is not responding to anything. And, you know, the Jinyu is very much like feeding off of this energy. He seems to be powering up in some sort of small way. And Suzu is losing it. Like her, she's crying, she's freaking out, she doesn't know what to do. And like, this is what ex is exciting Jinyu. Like, this is what he wanted. He says, I can feel it. Your high grade life force is getting tastier with all the sadness and despair. The ultimate dish is now complete. And he's about to eat her. And then, like, you see her move very, very quickly. And this is where he says, I see you took the opportunity to release the seal, but that just makes you a petty thieving cat. And we see the full form of the Ayakashi king. Suzu is riding on top of him and he says, nonsense, I am the king of Ayakashi. And the last two panels, we see Matsuri still laying down and then we see what would have been uh, the seal that is on Matsuri's stomach. And it looks like it might be fading away. So I'm very, very curious at this. Uh, I don't know if Matsuri broke the seal for uh, the Ayakashi King or if he did, uh, you know, while Matsuri was unconscious, basically. And I'm not sure if the seal on Matsuri's stomach is breaking. If this was like something that the Ayakashi King said, well, not necessarily said, but just like, hey, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, if I'm going to break the seal and get my true form, the least I can do is make you into a man again. So that's what I'm thinking is happening. And if that is happening, if that is happening, does that mean this book is ending? You know, uh, because I feel like that was the gimmick of the book. And if the gimmick of the book just ends, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And if or if if this was just something that happens and they're still going to move forward with it but with Matsuri as his normal boy form 
maybe they're saying, hey, this book is more than this than just the sexual tension of Matsuri being a woman. In that case, I think it might be pretty cool if they continue it, even though he's a boy. So I think that would be kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I like I said, I just had that one little uh, gripe about it uh, with the two panels. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I am enjoying it. And I will say once they print this book out, I will definitely get it. Like this is something, uh, of course, I've been wanting to start uh, buying mangas. Uh, I know I should just rip the bandaid and start collecting My Hero Academia just because I've been wanting to, to definitely get those books. And I know I have the bookshelf space for it uh, because right now I'm not buying any trades for American comics. Uh, I think the one thing that I am very much enjoying are mangas and the books that we're covering. I think the only ones that have actual physical books are Dragon Ball Super and My Hero Academia. Everything else is still only digital and they haven't printed it out yet. So hopefully they start printing these out so I can get them uh, and have them all nice and beautiful on my bookshelf. But let's go ahead and jump into... Um, Phantom Seer chapters 9 and 10. This one actually was really, really fun. All right. So Phantom Seer chapter 9 and 10. I really like this story. I don't know how or why I like this because it's very much not my style as a just person overall having to deal with ghosts and phantoms and, you know, all the scary, spooky stuff. Uh, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, and you can ask almost anybody that knows me, <laughs> but I just, I, I really love the characters here. I love the storytelling. I love the character building. I love the universe that they're building. I absolutely love it. So in here we see that, uh, Iori is, uh, teaming up with, what was his name? Um, Jesus, uh, 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 uh what is his name? Uh, Kurose is what I want to say the pronunciation is, uh, but uh, we see that Kurose is a little bit of, I wouldn't say pervert, I would say more of like just like um, a, a womanizer, maybe? I'm not sure. He he just, he's all over women here. Uh, he's wanting to get their numbers, he's like wanting to flirt with them, he's, he, he, he's very much, he seems like a tool, but when it comes down to it, he's actually kind of, he's kind of a badass, but uh, it's really funny because of the way he acts in front of all these women. Uh, Iori is the one that seems to be like has his head on straight whenever it comes to this job, which is very ironic because he doesn't like to do work with shamans, even though he is a shaman. Of course, he's trying to be normal. And we actually find out why in these two chapters, which is very, very interesting. Uh, but Kurose says uh, the, you know, the real reason why. Uh, he wanted, or, well, he, he tells the true purpose of this mission or this, this, uh, this case that they are on. He says, this case may involve a girl phantom. And for some reason, that is huge. That is something Iori definitely, definitely needs to know. Uh, and we find out that, uh, Kurose and Yayoi had a conversation before this case, and Yayoi said, I suspect the disappearance has something to do with the phantom Iori is looking for. 
if he tries, that bratty little brother of mine can be useful. And she says, because Iori believes it's his fault that the phantom exists in the first place. This phantom is called Sinjudoji. Sinjudoji. S-E-N-J-U-D-O-J-I. So I don't know if I am pronouncing that right. I have like these like little sniffles in my nose. I'm trying not to sneeze. I do apologize. But we get this really creepy looking uh like like beautiful page very granite type art of who i assume is the sinjiroji uh and is very creepy looking very creepy looking and uh, the flashback of yoyoi talking karose says there's no doubt about these disappearances sinjiroji is targeting beckoning hands and we all know riku is a beckoning hand so this is getting very very interesting and we actually go back to riku and what is his name i know his name i know his name hold on i wrote it down it is crap um hold on i know this i know this i know this i know this i wrote it down it should say right here uh, Kinma. Kinma is actually uh, telling Riku all about the organizations of the shaman. There is more than just the Nabu, uh, Nabari. Yeah, Nabari, which is the organization that Yoyoi is in control of. Uh, the other one is called the Korikai. K O R E I K I A. Um, and of course, it's really funny because the the way they pictured it, you see uh, Yojiro as the middleman helping them each get jobs. So I think that was really, really funny. But, you know, Kinma is basically telling uh, Riku all of this and he tells her, and you are the beckoning hand who is under the protection of the organization. He says, your ability to sense danger is quite powerful compared to the other beckoning hands. And she says, because of this, Miss Yoyoi requested that I oversee your training, uh, training that will help you fight. And they're going to be playing hide and seek with his kit, uh, with his Tengu, his little three little like head floating heads with like the arms that are wings and stuff. Uh, so that is how they're going to train her, which is really funny. Uh, but it goes back to Iori and Kurose, and they talk about how the, what what was it? It was, uh, it says here, the first disappearance was a woman named uh, Saika uh, Koju, and the right before her disappearance, she was heard saying something weird to people around her. There's a room where you can meet the dead. Uh, and Iori's, you know, it was very, you know, he is intrigued by this and says it just happens that this abandoned hotel has a room where you can see the dead. At least that's the rumor. And so they go up to this room and they open the door and there's nothing there. They close it again. And Kurose says, well, what do you know about the, uh, um, what is it? Um, oh, he, he says, 
when you hear about meeting the dead, what phantom comes to mind? And I always like, well, stop asking stupid questions. You know the answer to this. It's the she sekechu or si sekech. Oh my gosh. S H I S E I C H U. She sechu. She sechu. And it said, he says, when it attaches itself to humans, it uses the voice of the dead to whisper in that person's head. Soon it gains control over the host and brings them back to its nest for consumption. It's only a bit, it's only as big as its pinky finger, or your pinky finger, but extremely dangerous. Uh, <laughs> and he's, and Carose is like, okay, you pass. And Iori gets like super, like just agitated at this because he, he knew that it was a stupid question. And so Kurose knocks on the door and says the name of his dead father. And all of a sudden, like, it starts, it's somebody's banging on the other side. And so they push the door open, and there is a such I can't say it. Oh my god, I tried to practice this last night. Shesechu, Sesechu. Sasechu, 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 Sasechu. Okay, Sasechu, there is basically a 30 foot long Sasechu. It looks crazy, guys. Absolutely crazy. And, <laughs> and I already like, oh, that's bigger than your pinky. <laughs> and you see in the far background uh, the girl that has gone missing. And. Uh, that is the end of the chapter. We're going on to chapter 10 here. And this is where Kurose shows that he is actually quite valuable. He is uh, very resourceful here. Um, it shows a little bit of a flashback about an hour ago. Uh, Kurose and Iori talking. Uh, we find out that Iori is rich. Like super rich. He has, well not super rich. Uh, he has 20 million yen. I did the research. That is estimated to about $200,000. Uh, and remember, Iori is still just a teenager. He is a child. Uh, so for him to have this, uh, you know, at his age is very, very strange. He's like, oh, I don't really use money that much. Um, and Karose is just like, holy crap. Well, like... He says, I see, not bad, uh, Shadow Boy. Uh, and he's like, oh my gosh, he already has $20 million as a teenager. And, you know, they they exercised a pretty famous phantom, so they got paid, like, a lot of money. So, you know, it goes back to the Sasechu. I said it right this time, hopefully. Uh, and they start to fight it. And I will say the title card for this, uh, Phantom Seer, uh, you see uh, Iori just standing there with like a whole bunch of arms, like basically like almost like sand or worms. If you zoom in, there are a whole bunch of arms. It just looks really cool. That's supposed to represent the beckoning hands. Really, really cool. Uh, but this is where Kurose, it looks like his exercise power or abilities have to deal with his lighter uh so of course it makes him kind of look like a badass you know holding this little uh flint lighter uh and he is trying to set the uh on fire and 
while this fight goes on, Ayori hears the voice of a woman. We get Riku and Kinma talking during their training. And basically, Yayoi gave permission to to Kinma to tell the truth about what happened. And at this at this point I was like, okay, what truth? What happened? And this is about Iori. Iori at one point fought the Senjudoji. And he was with a beckoning hand. He was protecting her and he didn't protect her. Well, he he attempted to, but she got killed. It says here when Iori was in his third year of middle school, he battled a Sendoji, and the girl he was protecting died. It was the biggest mistake Iori has made as a shaman. Since then, he's been determined to quit, but the but only after he exercised the Sendoji. And Riku's like, oh, well, the woman he was protecting, was she? And he's like, yes, she was a beckoning hand. So this has a lot of weight on Iori's psyche on his life you know he is determined like he 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 wants to quit because of what happened because of the pain of what happened but he knows as long as that Sinojidoji is still around it could hurt so many more people and we've seen a little bit of this with other prior chapters with Riku being very uh anxious or very quick to help others and jump into into those battles and and save people, Iori pretty much has PTSD and is like, no, you can't just jump in there. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get yourself killed. And now we know why. So that is very interesting. We eventually see uh, Kurose destroy this giant centipede of a uh, Sasechu. And they go deeper into the cave or whatever this has turned into. It's no longer a hotel room. It is legitimately a cave, a cavern, a lair. And they go deeper into it and they see this winding staircase. And they say the the Sinjudoji is down below. And that's where we end that chapter. I am very interested in this. Um, I'm very interested to see if Riku will uh, change Iori's mind in the sense of him wanting to quit if they just kill this thing off. Will they kill it off in the next chapter? Is this going to be a uh, a villain that will be overarching into future like stories? I'm I'm not I'm not sure, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm really interested to see uh, what kind of power that Riku has with her training and if she will develop anything as a shaman. Uh, But with that, let's go ahead and jump into the last three books that we have. My Hero Academia, Dragon Ball Super, and Kaiju Number 8. These three books that we had just previously talked about all had two chapters that we needed to catch up on. And the rest only have one. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now. All right. Chapter 289. Now, uh, you know, with My Hero Academia, I have a love-hate relationship whenever it comes to really 
important storylines of My Hero Academia. And please do not focus your listening on the keyboard in the background because you know me and this book. I always forget character names. So I'm going to go ahead and look up the uh, whole roster of the My Hero Academia character list while I'm talking about this. But the the reason why I have a love-hate relationship with these, uh, especially now that I'm completely caught up, is that they don't give you enough story, damn it. Like, <laughs> like I, when I was just, like, binging this book, you know, the major story arcs, were, I didn't notice were anywhere from 11 to 19 pages each chapter. And normally you have something that is 19 to 20 pages, uh, 19 to 22 pages, you know, things like that. And with, you know, something as big as this whole invasion and trying to catch the League of Villains and all of this is going down, reading 19 pages is nothing, especially when there's nothing but fighting going on. Uh, it makes the the chapter go by really, really quickly. But... Uh, we start off with uh, a whole lot of flying characters and Ida. Uh, Ida just really wants to be a part of this group because, uh, you know, he is very much inspired by Todoroki, Bakugo, and Midoriya. Uh, but one of those uh, characters uh, who is flying is uh, Hado, a part of the big three, of course. Uh, she... Uh, is going to be entering the fight, uh, but we don't see much from her. She just sees, of course, her, uh, her, uh, her, what do they call it? Uh, mentor, teacher, uh, 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 agency hero, basically. Uh, 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 Rio, I have the list right here, Clay. Just look at the list. Just look at the hero's names. It's not that hard. Her name is Ryo Kyu. Sorry, Ryo Kyu. Of course, the one that can turn into a dragon. We know that she was uh, in danger last time. She did get pretty hurt uh, by Shigaraki. Uh, but we see again, Shigaraki is not listening uh, to uh, All for One. Uh, and he's still wanting to attack Deku. Uh, we see uh, these... Uh, Teen heroes uh, from the academy uh, come in. They're wanting to help. And we jump into the fight of Ochaku and Toga. This I'm still very confused on. I'm still very confused on Toga's feelings. Um, you know, she she is kind of talking to Ochaku and saying, like, I'm very confused. You uh, Like, she says, when I think about the people I love, it makes me want to become them. The desire to take all their blood from myself gushes up till I just can't stand it. I get all emotional just thinking about it. That's who I am. And she's like, but other people aren't like that. It's so hard for me to live like this. It's this one nasty lady said my normal was sad and miserable and then, guess what? She tried to kill me. She said, do you know what I did, Ochaku? I used your blood and your quirk to drop her from way up high. Drinking the blood of someone I love gives me their quirk too. Oh, 
I was so happy when it happened. And Ochaku gets pissed at this. Like, I would never do that. And this weird sense of love that Toga has for Midoriya, for Ochaku, for uh, freaking uh, Froppy. It's, it's very... It's very odd. And with what happened last, the last few chapters, it seems like there is some sort of conflict happening within Toga. And that is what I'm confused about. Because here, uh, you know, she does take the little keychain of All Might that Midoriya gave to her. And like, she kind of like teases Ochaku and like runs around this little building. And, you know, she says, uh, we're, we're the same, Ochaku, because I know you like Izuku. I've always felt that. So Izuku must have gotten this from... Uh, so Izuku must have given this to you. That makes us the same right now. Or that makes us the same, right? And uh, she says, uh, I can't waste my time on her, but when I go at her head on, just dodge. And this is Ochaku thinking. And she says, I've shut those feelings away. Ochaku is talking about Midoriya. Because if she has, and we've seen that she hasn't pursued anything, but we've seen that she gets nervous around Midoriya. And so I don't know if she's lying to Toga here, but if this is true, she's put being a hero first, which I think is really, really awesome, to be really honest. I think... Um, this doesn't need to become a drama series, although I, I know that there's so many people who would love the shipping of characters and getting into all that drama and relationships and whatnot. Right now, there is clearly more important things to be said with these characters. Uh, and it's really cool because she's able to like her new gadget that she was inspired by with uh, uh, Deku. Uh, she touched all these items, and then her 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 tech is able to grab onto them while she's using her float ability, and they're all floating into the air, and so it's easier for her to just swing these around the the room, which is awesome. It's so scary when you think about it, but it's a really cool thing that she can use as a weapon. Uh, and she says to Ochaku, she says. Uh, uh, well, this is well. First, I'll talk about Toga's line here. She says, uh, "When I was little, I was told to stop being me, but that doesn't work. When you shut your feelings away, it only grows inside." And this is Ochaku saying this now. She says, "If you're gonna live as you please and threaten people, then you also have to live with the consequences." And she just stops and says, "Huh, you're right." I thought so. And then she just runs away. Well, it looks like she's about to throw knives at Oshaku, but Froppy comes in, saves her, and she just runs away. And this is the internal dialogue from Toga, I believe. She says, Oshaku, since we like the same boy, I thought maybe we could confide in each other about love. I'm going back to the league. My confusions all cleared away and then you just see uh gigantica that, that's what i'm gonna call him i keep forgetting his name uh he is running towards the fight of midoriya 
and uh, Sugar Rocky. So shit is about to go down. It is getting super crazy. And like I said, it was super short. It's just super short. Whenever there's a whole bunch of fighting, it's just super short and I don't like it. <laughs> I want more of the story. And I don't know when the next time we will have like a really long chapter. So it just kind of makes me sad. <laughs> I want more. I really do. But I think I'm convinced. I think I'm convinced. I may actually like before work today, at least buy uh, the first two chapters. Because see, the thing is, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and people, if if this is true, please let me know. And I'll, I'll ask Luke Hollywood. I'll ask anybody who buys digital uh, manga on Comixology, but does it like? Do you turn the pages the correct way on Comixology? Do you go backwards still, or does it force you to go forward, like forward, quote unquote, backward, whatever? Um, does does it force you to go the opposite way than the Shonen Jump app does? Because if that's the case, then none of the panels will work correctly, and I don't know if I like that. So. I don't know if I can do manga digitally on Comixology. Shonen on Shonen, it does great. They they design their app to do that. Um, so if if I were to want to own a book, because I own a ton of comics on Comixology, like I, I purchase those, and I'm okay with purchasing those. But when it comes to manga, I'm scared to purchase it because I don't want to go the opposite way and have the panels all look weird when I'm trying to progress and look at art and stuff. So I definitely need to find out if that is true uh, because I, I like I'm I'm purely a trade person now, and because all these chapters basically made a trade, a book, a volume, uh, I need to add those into my collection as well. But let's go ahead and jump into Dragon Ball Super. I was super frustrated with this one just because it's very stereotypical, but we'll get to that. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump into Dragon Ball Super. I'm sorry. It's just frustrating. Okay, let's go right now. Dragon Ball Super, Chapter 65, Son Goku Earthlings. This, like I said, is very frustrating because one, whenever it comes to Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super, there's always a formula, you know? There's a villain, villain gets too strong, heroes have to train, they become ascended, whether that be with another, you know, evolution or whatnot, transformation... Goku fights the hero mid-fight from other people. Villain is worn down. Goku thinks that's unfair. Goku gives the villain a sensu bean. They fight again. It seems like something catastrophic happens with the villain. And people are like, well, this wouldn't have happened if the sensu bean wasn't given to him. And Goku's like, Haha, I guess you're right. I just really wanted to see how powerful he was. And then something happens where somebody is needing to sacrifice themselves. And it's just so annoying sometimes. Now, I say I'm annoyed, but this art is phenomenal. I still love this series. 
they could probably do no wrong in my mind, but it's still very frustrating when some of the same points get overplayed so many times. It's almost like the spirit bomb was back in the day. And I swear to God, if Goku does the spirit bomb in ultra instinct form, I'm kind of going to be pissed, but I'm really hoping that's not the case. But anyway, let's go ahead and move forward. Um, so, of course, we left off with Goku basically slamming a giant rock or, or, or getting Maru in a situation where a giant rock collapsed on his body. Goku is able to destroy this rock without even touching it. And uh, he's like, you need to promise to leave. Like, you, you need to surrender. And if you surrender, you need to go back to prison. Do you surrender? And he's like, oh, of course. Of course I'll surrender. You know, of course, you know, they're going to try to trick the hero or whatever. And so Goku goes to Krillin, grabs the bag of Sensu Beans, and tosses the Sensu Bean to Maru. He's like, here, eat this. This is going to heal your stamina. And even Krillin's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, are you seriously kidding me? And even Jaku in the background is like, you didn't have to heal the scumbag. Like, for real? Are you serious? And Maru sees, like, that he's fully healed. He tries to attack Goku. And we learn something really cool about Ultra Instinct. The fact that, like, of course, your body moves faster than your brain. And because of this, like, the body will start to harden before impact. And, like... So he, so Maru basically breaks his hand trying to attack Goku. And Goku's like, you're a coward. Like, are you, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I gave you a chance to just leave, to go back to prison and to live your life. And you're still not going to take it. And he's like, at your current strength, you can never fight me. And he even asks, have you ever trained before? You could be such a better fighter if you legitimately gave yourself like these like these limits to break and this is kind of going to where like Frieza was at the beginning of Super you know him being resurrected and realizing oh I've never trained before I wonder what would happen to me if I really did and of course that made him go golden Frieza form and so we see that the hand that Miris had cut off of uh, Maru, when he had tried to absorb Miris's, you know, abilities, is floating in on this rock with the magma. And so Maru sees this, Goku doesn't because it's behind him. And he's trying to stall and he's trying to stall. And he eventually grabs the hand. Uh, the hand basically flies back to him. Uh, and he cuts off his hand and he puts on this new one uh, or technically old one and he did in fact absorb Miris's power back then but Miris had just cut it off in time for him not to use it so now he has the ability of ultra instinct basically and so now there's like a legit fight um, it still seems like they're not really hurting each other but there is a massive like amount of energy going off while they fight uh, to the point where Whis has to save Jaku and Krillin. And uh, they fly off because, 
you know, of course, Goku doesn't want to harm the planet, you know, the planet and the people around them. So they start to fight in the air. They go off into this like random island. They start to fight again. And basically the God energy or angel energy at this point from uh, Miris is like it's it's too powerful for Miris's body. So his body is like enlarging in odd ways. And this kind of gave me flashbacks of Cell. And I'm like, oh, he's going to explode. Like he's not going to be able to handle it. And he is still fast, but he's he's gotten slower. He's definitely gotten slower. Uh, Goku clearly has the advantage. And basically Goku gets him to the point where he's face down onto the earth. And Whis is like, Goku, it would be very smart of you to end this now if you were smart. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And all of a sudden you see that like Maru's head is somewhat in the ground. And you're like, what the heck? And right behind Goku is a giant head of Maru. And he says, I have become one with this planet of yours. Behold, I have done away with my limits and Miris is like ah, so this this is what it has to come to and Krillin's like wait you knew this was gonna happen like what the fuck what does that even mean and we says in order to withstand the angel power he's made the earth into his own body which means that your planet now shares Maru's fate killing Maru will destroy the earth itself he says and beyond that his swollen energy will detonate, possibly obliterating the entire galaxy. He says, uh, this is Maru. He says, try me if you dare, son Goku. So, this was like, like of course, like Goku gives him the sensu bean, gave him a chance, and now the entire galaxy is like basically th being threatened to basically explode. Uh, this... I, and I hope that this isn't another instance where Whis has to, like, go back in time and let Goku, like, defeat him or whatever um, before this happens. Because that'll just be a redo of the whole Frieza thing. So, I think that would be kind of dumb if that happens. But, I don't know. The art is still really good. I really, really enjoy the art. Uh, I like the concept or the, the visual of Maru being a part of the Earth. It looks very scary. Um, in the sense of, like, if you were there, it'd be, like, absolutely terrifying. Uh, but, yeah. Um, and I really want to see more of Vegeta fight. Like, he was just thrown out like a little bitch. And I'm so mad that my favorite character in Dragon Ball is always just thrown to the wayside. Like, I know this is always a story about Goku, blah, 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 blah. but there's more there's there's more characters than Goku. At one point, freaking the entire story of Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z was going to turn into a story of Gohan. And they were going to have Gohan be the, the hero to destroy freaking uh, Majin Buu. But they're like, oh, well, that's too much like the Cell Saga. So we have to like, like it started to move that way with Cell Saga and started to become more about Gohan. They were going to weave Goku out 
and now they're just like, nah, Goku's basically a god anyway. He's invincible. He, you know, if he dies, we can just wish him back, and he's still the best hero ever. It's like, no, you, you, you gotta let these characters that you have created become more than what they were when you first created them. And it just gets me frustrated sometimes. But I love this story. I always will. It's just something like, of course, when this is freaking animated, I will be like, like so into it. I know I will. That's just who I am. I'm sorry. But uh, let's jump into our last book. Our last book is Kaiju number eight, chapter 15. Uh, I, I know I say this is a fun one, but they're all fun. And that's the best thing about these uh, about this app, really. Um, like I said, all the time in the past, these are brand new characters to me. Um, this is a brand new world. Uh, you know, they don't have 80 years of history like a Superman or Batman. So it's not something that I have like a clear mindset of how they should act. So with these new characters, it's just brand new. It's fun. And if anybody's listening to this for the very first time, I very much uh, implore you to spend the dollar ninety nine a month to jump into the Shonen Jump app and get into these stories. They're really really fun. I'm not sponsored by Shonen Jump at all. I think that would be kind of cool if I was. Just saying, but um, but yeah, it uh, is going to be a fun ride. Let's go ahead and jump into Kaiju number eight, chapter fifteen, right now. All right, so Kaiju number eight, chapter fifteen. This was actually really, really suspenseful. Um, has to deal uh, not with Kafka, but a lot with Reno uh, and the humanoid kaiju that we kind of been seeing has uh, been hiding within the cleaning crew of Tokyo. Now, we see in uh, the first few pages, we see the cleaning crew. They're like, hey, is that where the kaiju is? Oh, that's where Kafka and Reno are. Uh, with the uh, with the force, uh, hey. Also, where's the new guy? And we know, of course, that the new guy is the kaiju, like hiding. You know, he's hiding in a humanoid body, and uh, Reno, like, immediately sees this. Uh, and this this uh, kaiju, this humanoid kaiju, uh, uses this weird ability with his finger uh, to shoot. What is his name? Uh, Aiharu, uh, right in the freaking shoulder. Uh, he's freaking out. He can't stop the bleeding. And then this kaiju takes on its true form. And they're like, holy crap, that was the one that was in the training facility. Uh, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And Reno takes lead. He's trying to call for backup. Uh, very conveniently, the, uh, the kaiju says, oh, right, radio communications. Yes, already got those covered. This section is already... Uh, within a undetectable pocket of space for a tr uh, for a trick designed to keep me hidden in the human world it works surprisingly well for hunting them down don't you think and like reno gets shot in the like the, i would say the lower stomach area uh, right above the hip and he also gets hit in the uh, in his left leg, he's dodging, he's trying to dodge these attacks, uh, and the kaiju's like, oh, well, my, my aim seems to, to be a little bit off, uh, and he's like, wait, you can see my shots, can't you, and we see that he has actually learned from 
crap, what is her name? I I looked up every name except for hers, but the 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 crazy rich like super freaking uh talented uh girl that is on the force, I always forget her name. Uh but uh she told him cuz she was the one that was attacked by this kaiju. Uh it, and I think Reno may have said something when it revealed himself. Uh uh Frick, what is it? What is it? What is it? Uh, hold on. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, uh, nope, doesn't say. Uh, well, maybe it does. Hold on. I'm so confused by this. I know that someone said her name. I know that they said her name. Um. Uh. Oh, uh. Shinomiya. Shinomiya is her name. Uh, Shinomiya is the one that taught Reno, like, hey, at first I thought I was using some sort, I thought it was using some sort of magic or witchcraft, but if you look closely at the fingertips, you'll see it has a certain tell before attacking, and you see that, like, its index finger like kind of like bulges up and then it turns into like a spring and then it shoots it out and Reno is able to focus on that and then dodge at the right time uh and he tells I hope uh Iharu to run and get back up because there's no communications and Reno is saying uh it doesn't get any scarier than this this thing took down Shinomiya, of all people. I don't stand a chance against it. But the kind of officer I strive to be is one who can lay his life on the line to protect the to protect one of his own at a time like this. And that's the end of the chapter. It's super quick. But, uh, you know, we start to see, like, the true leadership of what Reno wants to become. And I think Reno in this book will become a pretty big uh, leader and a really cool character. Um, he shows a lot of promise for, you know, what a leader has shown from what we've seen, you know, the complete badassery that they are. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see, uh, of course, Kafka turn into his kaiju and really throw hands <laughs> with this other uh, humanoid kaiju. So I think it'll be really cool to see that within the next few chapters. This was a really short read uh, in total that is 17 pages. Uh, so hopefully we'll get a little bit more in the next chapter. Uh, but with that, guys, that is everything. This episode ran a little long, but not nearly as long as our longest episode. But... Uh, it's been really fun. I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I really enjoyed all the books that we talked about today. And uh, I am reading more, but I'm just not putting them onto the show because they're a little bit older and some people might know these books. Um, so eventually, I think there's one or two that I want to review once I get the physical copy. Uh, and I think they're being printed next year. Um that being, uh, uh, what is it, uh, the Unluck or, or whatever it's called. I can actually look here. Uh, it is called, it is called, it is called Undead Unluck. I read the first chapter and I 
<laughs> I I think that is hilarious. And I think when the when the first volume comes out in physical format, I will talk about it. And I've heard uh, Ma- Michelle Magic and Muscles is also really good. So I'll look into that one as well. But with that, guys, thank you so much for being here. If you are here at the end of the show, let me know. Let me know how I did. Uh, let me know which was your favorite out of reading all these uh, within the last two weeks. And yeah, uh, I will very much enjoy your feedback. Like I said, I have five shows out today. So please, 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 please check those out. Um, and I will see you guys on Saturday, hopefully. Hopefully I will have, well, no, no, no. It's every two weeks. Like I said, every two weeks. So I will see you next Saturday. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we are out of here. See you later.